Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Tracy Koga, and thanks for downloading this podcast from iLikeYou.com. If you can, give us a follow or subscribe. And remember that all the information about the guests in today's episode can be found at iLikeYou.com. Now, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Well, it is the last week of April, a rainy Tuesday. We are well into 40 days and counting of this isolation. And there is hope that we might see a a little bit of a release on the bans and restrictions coming up in the next few weeks. And uh, let's just say tensions are running high. And there is another crisis that's rising. Trauma, stress, substance abuse, everyone confined in a small space. It's a perfect storm for domestic violence. And today, I think we're gonna have some really heartfelt discussions, maybe learn how we can help because right now the public is going to be the front line to report any kind of domestic violence or child abuse. So welcome everyone to the Hugh Crew virtual chat and we're gonna open it up and welcome our great guests. The front line to report any kind of domestic violence or child abuse. So welcome everyone to the Hugh Crew. Hello, hello. Hi there. Hi, all these great faces popping up. I see Rochelle, welcome Rochelle. And uh, I, it's Kathy, welcome Kathy and Liz. Hi Tracy. Hi, enjoy. <laughs> and, uh, Mary, wave your hand because I don't think we've actually, okay, nice, oh, to, nice to meet you. Thank you. I know, this is so great. And Robin's back, thank you. And uh, um, who else? Oh, wow, it, there's just so much. Oh, Christy, wave your hand. Oh, there she is, Christy, nice to meet you. And I know your sister-in-law. <laughs> and I hope um, Catherine should be joining us too as well. And uh, Chantel, wave your hand. There. Hi, Chantel. Nice. There's Joy. Joy. Oh, my goodness. Hi, Amy. There's Catherine. Oh, hi. <laughs> I just uh, virtually met. Oh, hi, Joy. Hi, Joy. Hi. <laughs> yeah. So I think there's going to be some more people um, coming on board. But thank you all very much for coming today because I think it's going to be a really great um, conversation. Uh, thank you, Chantel, for... Um, you know, just sort of sending more information and how this is so timely right now. And wow, we've got a group of really powerful women that I think maybe we won't solve everything, but it will really be nice to have the discussion and have the information at hand. Mm -hmm. So um, I know, Joy, that uh, you have to leave soon. So we're going to let you kind of take the floor and uh, sort of Explain a little bit more about the Joy Smith Foundation, but how important it is right now during this pandemic. Joy. Well, it's, uh, thank you so much and welcome everybody. I think this is awesome. 
that uh, we're all getting together today. And uh, I just want to say, um, I know I have to leave because I'm working with some survivors this morning, but um, the proclamation is excellent. Uh, Non-consensual distribution of intimate uh, images awareness day, uh, April uh, 14th, I believe it is. It's a very good thing to do, and uh, congratulations to Kathy getting that started. It's excellent. Thank you. Uh, I wish uh, every province would do something like this. Um, the pandemic has been very busy for the foundation. Our offices have been closed, and um, we have, um, you know, one of my staffers, Madeline, who uh, our offices are on Henderson Highway. And um, Madeline and I have been in here, and uh, but the, and we'll have one more in um, with the social distancing that we have to do. But you know, we're very fortunate, all of us, to be able to be in our homes today, and be able to know that we have dinner on the table tonight, because a lot of the survivors of human trafficking do not have that. And during this pandemic, I've had to take two uh, girls to Winnipeg into a safe house in Ontario. And they were escaping from their traffickers. Um, also, the women who have, um, who have been trafficked and um, uh, have very, the traffickers don't stop. And they live a very horrid life. And the fact of the matter is a lot of them didn't have food. We were delivering food hampers and everything to them and their children. Uh, social distancing, I mean, it's not a top priority for them. Uh, survival is. Uh, so the pandemic has been, um, it has worked against them in many ways. And by the way, I just saw Christy. Hi, Christy. I'm glad you're here. My Hi, Joy. Christy. Hi, Joy. Hi, we work together all the time. I think she's wonderful and doing some wonderful things. You're going to hear about it very shortly. Um, so with the foundation, we, um, we deal with the human trafficking side. And um, what happens there is we're centered on the education to prevent it. But on top of that, we also have the rescues. Like you'll hear from Christy, and Christy has a wonderful, uh, something that we really need in this city and a wonderful place where um, sexual exploitation can be addressed and the victims of sexual exploitation can be addressed. Um, that happens in many different forms. Um, human trafficking, um, is the vilest of sexual exploitation because it is something that um, occurs usually when uh, a young girl has trust in somebody. They trust in a boyfriend, they trust in a friend, and what happens to them is that the trafficker gets their trust and often they become uh, girlfriends of the trafficker. And people think that, oh, this only happens to marginalized uh, people or people who have been sexually abused at home. Uh, I must say that victims of human trafficking, if they have been sexually abused before the trafficker gets them, they're more vulnerable to be trafficked uh, because they've lost a lot of self-esteem. But the majority of my cases this year, actually 93% of them came from the Christian community. And um, 
And a lot of the girls that I've worked with over the past three to five years have come from middle class to upper class families. And it's because they bring a lot more money and they travel all across Canada and into the US. The route is usually between Canada and the US. Um, so it's very much a North American uh, issue that has reached the forefront this last few years. Everybody writes about it and everybody talks about it. So uh, there's a lot of people working on the human trafficking issue now, like Mama Way here has worked on the Aboriginal side. Um, Diane Rilsky, who runs that organization, is a very good friend of mine. In fact, they have their meetings in my offices here on Henderson Highway. And, um, and of course, Christy, who's doing a wonderful initiative as well. Um, we support each other and help each other as best we can because there's enough work for everybody. And um, for me personally, you know, when I see Catherine on the um, and others, uh, it's very moving because I taught Catherine at school. So that means I'm very old. She's very young and she's still sticking with me. So this is great. Um, but human trafficking is um, very, very prevalent here in Winnipeg, in Manitoba, and all across our nation. And it, it centers on people. The average age of entry into the sex trade in Canada is 12 to 14 years of age, in between that, that age. And the way it's, they're being lured, um, it's done in such a deceitful kind of um, way that the kids don't even know what's happening to them till after it happens. So sometimes people get confused when there are some people that do choose for whatever reason to prostitute themselves. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about young people who are lured and have no intention of being involved in the sex trade, but they are lured. And the traffickers make between 260000 to $280,000 per victim per year. That's why they do it. But it's very sad because, you know, in this country, I have many calls to my office of young women who, you know, apart from human trafficking, have been sexually abused or interfered with. And I love this uh, proclamation, this um, that has come out because, you know, images going across the internet is something that shouldn't be happening. I know in our Bible Belt here in Manitoba this year, and I will probably end with that next two minutes, I, I have to leave, but in, um, in our, um, I don't have to leave, I guess, till about 11.30, Madeline. Yeah, 11.30. So anyway, um, in our province of Manitoba, I had one of the most egregious human trafficking cases I've ever run across. And uh, Ashley, um, my, one of my people who worked for me, Madeline, uh, was, she worked in the United Nations and she's, she's come to work for me. And uh, I usually do the big things, like if, if there's a big conference or things like that. But I got this plea to come out to a very small place in rural Manitoba. In fact, we had trouble finding it. It was the first time Madeline had come with me. And um, 
So she said, Mrs. Smith, on the way as, we were, as I was driving, she said, why are you going to this place? I can't even find it. So it was a little church in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I have to tell you that it was a church where people, five different con uh, denominations congregated. And there was made up about 50 people. And they wanted me to come out and talk about human trafficking. And so I did. And it was kind of different because they wanted me just to talk about it first before the service and ask me some questions. So I talked about it. And there was this little 10-year-old girl sitting in the audience with her mother. And there weren't many people there. I don't even know if there were 50 people there. Were there 50 people there, Madeline? I don't think so. But this 10-year-old 10, 10 girl raised her hand, and they hadn't been to that church before, but she said, Mrs. Smith, and she told me about in her classroom and in her school, everybody knew about the kids. They knew where they lived. They knew their names. And this person kept emailing them. They knew everything about them. And the red flags went up all over the place. And to make a long story short, this happened just before Christmas in 2019, just last Christmas. And to make a long story short, I looked at Madeline and, and the goosebumps were coming up on the back of my neck. And so I went over to her mom afterwards and sat down with the little girl, got a lot of information. And to be quite honest, in our Bible Belt here in Manitoba, we took down um, one of the most egregious trafficking rings I've ever been across. And my son is a RCMP commander uh, in southwestern Manitoba, and he uh, helped me. It wasn't in his area. It was just, um, just on the, the line of his area, another commander's area. And so um, we were... Um, able to get in contact with the proper uh, people to deal with this and the RCMP and the town police officers did a wonderful job. Uh, the oldest girl in that trafficking ring was 15 years old and right before Christmas she tried to escape. Uh, you remember that big storm we had with the ice and snow and mm -hmm. typical Manitoba winter weather, right? But anyway, she went out through a window and uh, went on the roof and she slipped and fell and broke her back. And so she landed up in, um, in a hospital under a pseudoname. And so the RCMP were able to deal with this case and the, it was broken, completely broken. But this was a large trafficking case and in um, Altona, um, a lot of my friends out there really took up the cause because they knew about it. And, um, and so I went out there, did several, you know, presentations in the, the Steinbeck, Altona area. And um, now there's going to be a drop-in center um, placed in Altona with the local residents are taking up the cause. So I have to close, but, you know, today I have to compliment you all in bringing such a big topic up and having such credible people on as Christy there, who's uh, really, really good at what she does. And to have you folks sitting there and uh, Kathy, this um, proclamation is excellent because it makes a big statement. 
And that's what we need. And we need more things to happen uh, here in Manitoba and all across this country. So I just want to applaud all of you. You know what? It, it takes a nation to stop human trafficking. And there's so many facets to all this stuff. There's enough work for all of us and more. At my age, I should be sitting at a lake someplace with my toe in the water. But I don't know. I just love the survivors. And I love the wonderful um, things that the foundation has been able to do. And I invite you to get on my foundation at www.joysmith, just joysmithfoundation.com. I don't like the name. It was my board that named it and I fought it for a year and it didn't work. So I was outvoted. And, but you know what? They did it because I passed the two laws that are embedded in the criminal code today against human traffickers. And you need to know that mandatory minimums for traffickers of children 18 years and under, that's embedded in the criminal code today. And this group should know that because there are laws that lawyers, police, and others are using all across this nation to combat human trafficking. And of course, Bill C-310, my second law, I was able to do it twice. And it's in the criminal code as well. And it reaches a long arm of the law into other countries when permanent residents of Canada or Canadian citizens go abroad and do the same. So, um, you know, thank you for this wonderful time. I can stay on for just another few minutes, but I'm very honored to be here today. And thank you very much for this opportunity. Oh, well, thank you so much, Joy. I mean, it's just incredible. And, I, you know, it's been kind of an eye-opener that all of this is going on while we go off on our lives and, and and worrying about the small things um, quickly before you have to leave joy like what can we do now to help or do we need to just be more aware of things popping up now the first thing you can do to help is be educated because education is our greatest weapon against this horrible crime there's too much you know like supporting um you know, people like Christy, who are building this wonderful center. I know Sheldon Kennedy is a, a personal friend of mine, and he built a wonderful organization in Calgary. I've often wondered, you know, Snowflake is one that uh, I know for Perrier, who started that, who's a friend of mine. And I have to say, you know, Christy's a personal friend of mine, and having organizations like that where sexual exploitation can be addressed, supporting people like my foundation, where we actually work with victims and we educate, it's, uh, I get no money at all from my foundation. It's not, it's written in the uh, articles. Uh, I do it out of love because I've, I've, fell in love with the survivors of human trafficking and they're my friends and they're all across the nation. So you as moms and you as different people, grandmoms and, and uh, elected people, you know, really can do something by actually taking action and uh, supporting, like getting educated about what's really going on. We have a book, The True Story of Canadian Human Trafficking. Uh, we have a documentary, Human Trafficking, Canada's Secret Shame. We are now putting out um, a new video that's coming. It's the Christian response to human trafficking in Canada. It was because of all the cases I've had from the Christian community and because of 
you know, people be naive, you know, they don't want this to happen to their children. It's just that they're like sitting ducks. The traffickers make a lot of money off their kids. So uh, that one's coming out the end of April. Getting knowledge and just, you know, supporting this and being aware, number one, will protect your own families. And that's what's most important. Protect your own families first. And get your knowledge, get your education, and then appeal and support people that are trying to do something to make a statement like Kathy's proclamation. Because uh, we're all in this together. It takes a nation to stop human trafficking. Thank you so much, Joy. And uh, continue on the great work. I know that you have to go. Um, we'll have you back when you can stay longer. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm going to... Uh, now show you ladies a, a short PSA um, from Snowflake Place and then Christy you're up to talk about this incredible little place that I just got to know. So Graham if you could roll that little video. Children who suffer abuse may go unnoticed while Manitobans are under weeks or months of isolation during the global pandemic. For those children at risk Home is not always a safe place. There are concerns that reports of child abuse have dropped weeks or months of the country. During this time, vulnerable children and youth don't have the supports they need to reach out for help. As a community, we all have a role in protecting children right now. Don't wait. If you are worried about a child, reach out. Visit snowflakeplace.ca to learn more. Wow. Okay, everybody meet Christy from Snowflake Place. Hi. Hi, Christy. Hi there. Hi, Catherine. She's <laughs> <laughs> my sister-in-law. My sister-in-law's on the phone. I didn't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that's what we're here to bring everybody together, right? That's you right. Know? That's right. Yeah. Um, so that's a very, very moving uh, PSA, but let's hear more about Snowflake Place. Right. Well, Snowflake Place is the beginning of, of Manitoba's first child advocacy center. So we are a small organization, but we have some pretty big goals in front of us in terms of what we're hoping to build for Manitoba children. Um, and, and, you know, the interesting timing of this pandemic um, that's impacted everybody um, has only highlighted that for us. So we're continuing to work on what would be our growth plans. Um, but currently at Snowflake Place, what we do is we provide a safe place for children to be interviewed when they're the subjects of a child abuse investigation. So um, we have about over 4,000 uh, investigations of child abuse in our province annually uh, between child welfare and law enforcement. And, and the sad reality there is most child abuse goes unreported. Um, so what we're looking at is trying to figure out the best ways to work together um, between all of our systems to respond to the kids that um, do come to our attention. So every year we're interviewing over 400 children right now. Uh, that's about 10% of the cases that come through our doors. We have two specially trained forensic interviewers who um, listen to children and hear their stories. Um, and those interviews are recorded um, potentially for use in court. Um, so we hear a lot of things about what's happening for kids. Um, 
So one of the reasons we produce that PSA that you're seeing right now, separate from everything else that we do, is we are part of this network in Manitoba who's worried about kids, um, but also across Canada. And we've been having conversations with our Child Advocacy Centre partners across Canada um, because what we know is the very important measures that are being taken uh, to protect public interest and public safety um, and critical steps um, are, are also going to create some un, unwanted and um, um, somewhat unexpected to some, I think, uh, consequences for children. Now that's not a critique because it's unavoidable. This is what we need to do right now to keep Manitobans and Canadians safe. Uh, but it was really important for us to make sure that the public is very conscious that we need to be creative about protecting children. And I think the most important reasons why for, for average people, I've worked in child abuse for 25 years. So sometimes I, I you know, you just kind of know too much and you and you um, can't take for granted that, you know, average people really know what all kids are facing. I think we have two populations of kids that we need to worry about. One, uh, one population of kids where it's very concerning are children who were never safe at home that school was a safe place for them, that going to the gym or going to after school activities or going to a sleepover at a friend's house, that was a safe activity. And those are people that they could rely on to either flag concerns or to talk to if they need to share some concerns. Most reports to child welfare come from teachers. So those kids were, you know, probably unsafe before this happened and now are even more isolated in the very place that's making them unsafe. The second and very different population would be the population of children who probably were quite safe at home, but these are very unusual times and stress is high, very, very high. Um, so that can also create some dynamics of domestic violence and child abuse that may not have existed in other uh, environments. And I don't know about any of you, um, you know, I'm at home with, with two kids. I'm a very, I think, well-adjusted person. I have a lot of supports in place, but it's still tough to be cooped up in your house in ways that you're not typically. So you can only imagine how that is for parents that are very, very stressed out, whether it's financially um, or with really young kids and all of those things. So those are two, I wanna separate those two because they're two very different things, but they're things for us to be concerned about. And what we're really just trying to inspire people to do is be creative. Be creative about how they can continue to be those people in children's lives, you know? Reach out by phone, FaceTime. Um, for families that are really stressed out, you know, how can you help occupy their kids for an hour? Do a cooking lesson with some kids. I didn't, you know, um, um, play, a, play a game over the phone just to alleviate some of that stress. And then if you are a teacher or, you know, an after school uh, coach or facilitator, or if you think about, you know, friends that your children have that you may have had some concerns about before, you know, are there creative ways you can check in? And so that's really what we were trying to, um, trying to um, get out right now, because I think that's what we need to be focused on right now is how do we make the best? Out of this time that we have and that we're faced with and how do we ensure that we're doing as much as we can to support children that might need our help that's uh yeah and then that was like i guess one of my questions too because it was really shocking the percentage of uh child abuse that gets reported are from school staff and yeah school is out so i do have leslie mcleod so i wanted to uh just introduce you to Christy too, but Leslie, I mean, it's a really um, interesting time. And, you know, I know that teachers are getting stressed out just trying to teach online, but it's, you're right. You talked about the kids that fall through the cracks and, you know, maybe we can all jump into this conversation on, on how the public now we become the front line because we need to report. So Leslie, I guess sort of what, what the teacher stance or what are, what are you hearing? Yeah. 
Well, um, it's interesting. I just had a conversation with a group of teachers about that the other day, and that's one of their biggest concerns right now is um, keeping eyes on those kids that are the kids that they had worries and concerns about before the pandemic. So I know here in Ottawa, I was just talking to the uh, chief psychologist for the public board here yesterday, and she said that a lot of teachers are doing online check-ins with kids where it's a private and they can just give a thumbs up sideways thumb or thumbs down um, on a daily basis as to how things are going. And I know lots of people are doing that on their own as teachers, but it's, it's a huge challenge. And, and that, you know, aside from the delivery of curriculum is probably the next biggest concern because I mean, in a school system, in, and I had a small school, my last school I was in, I had 330 kids, but we probably contacted CAS about 10 times a year. So, I mean, that's 10 kids that aren't possibly getting flagged right now. So, yeah, it's a big challenge. Anybody else want to join in that? Um, well, Charlotte, too. I mean, it's the whole mental health issue. And, you know, I mean, it's, you can feel, you can feel the tension. You can feel the trauma. Yeah, exactly. Yesterday in our um, peer support session for peer supporters, we were doing exactly what Christ Christy was just talking about, um, coming up with creative ways to engage with, um, with people that we're supporting um, as a means of checking in. And, uh, you know, again, there was those sign language that Leslie just mentioned, you know, thumbs up, some thumbs down, how to support them. Um, but, you know, exactly, this is such a time of you know, heightened stress in a lot of people's lives. And, uh, and like, you know, Chrissy said, and Leslie said, coming up with creative ways to keep connected with them. Thank you. Now, I guess, oh, oh Christy, did you want to say something? Boring things will come up with great ideas. I know kids help phone, their, their text lines have exploded, quadrupled in, in calls in, which is of course worrisome, but it's really good news that kids are having access to that. They're a lifeline in times like this. They're a lifeline at the best, you know, at the best of times, but um, you know, having the ability for kids who have a device to text and just re uh, receive some help is great. And then I think if we explore some unique, uh, some unique opportunities, you know, I haven't had a chance with Winnipeg Police, and I think we've all seen they've been extraordinarily busy, which is tragic. Um, um, I, I, I was hoping to explore with them a little bit about how we could engage them, connect them through the education system, because I had a call with Edmonton, and they're doing some really unique stuff in Edmonton, where they have a pretty robust uh, school resource program, which we also do in Winnipeg. Now, I don't know if those officers have been de redeployed or anything at this point, but um, they formed a relationship between the school resource officers and the schools. And, and at any time, if a teacher is concerned about a child or unable to connect with a child, um, all they have to do is reach out and the school resource officers are going and doing home visits just to check in and see how kids are doing. And I think that's sort of, it's sort of counter to the social distancing measures. But at the same time, when we balance out sort of hierarchy of needs, I think the reality is um, seeing them take those steps um, to do more than less um, in a time of, um, of worry about kids is really great. So I think those are more things that we can continue to explore um, together. Oh, yeah, well, I, I wanted to say welcome to Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hello. Hi, Hi welcome everyone. Chantel too as well. Okay, so I do also have uh, some other very important guests. I have Mr. Cox and I have Minister Squires. Although, can I call you Kathy and Rochelle? <laughs> Is that okay? Um, 
Kathy, again, congratulations on passing the declaration. And I think most of you know then it's the um, non-consensual distribution of images. Awareness Day, Joy had talked about it April 14th. Um, Sarah Osman, which I'd like to introduce, she has got an amazing story. Sarah, I might ask you to share it again too. And, um, and then uh, Rochelle too, I mean here, thank you so much. Both of the ministers are responsible for the status of women and this is huge. And uh, you know, we're all doing thank you, thank or applaud. And uh, um, anyway, so I am actually gonna go to Kathy and tell us, I guess, of, on the whole process and why this became a declaration. Well, thanks, Tracy. And first of all, I want to say thank you as well for organizing this opportunity for all of us to, uh, you know, to come together and talk about these very important issues that we're all facing, uh, you know, especially during this pandemic, but, you know, throughout the entire, uh, entire year. So thanks again, and to Joy for all the good work she's doing and everyone else. Uh, you know, when I first uh, had the opportunity to meet Sarah, and, uh, you know, she shared her story with me and uh, it, it really broke my heart. And, you know, to be so brave and uh, to be able to share that story because she wanted to ensure that other women uh, didn't feel alone in what they were facing. Uh, so what was uh, you know a, a severe severe uh, tragedy for you sarah uh, has been something that you've turned around and you've been able to help other women and other individuals who are facing uh, you know this very very same uh, you know very difficult issue so again thank you from the bottom of my heart for sharing it and coming to my office and uh, again you know from the very first moment that i talked to you uh, you know, when, once you left, I said, you know what, we need to partner uh, with Shameless Circle. We need to, uh, you know, get together with Sarah and uh, raise awareness. So, you know, I am so absolutely heartfelt to you. And, uh, you know, just from the bottom of my heart, thank you for what you're doing for women here in Manitoba and really across the nation. Uh, it's just remarkable. And working together with you initially on the proclamation, uh, you know, that was very important, but we know that there's a lot more work to do and we are going to be partnering with you uh, to ensure that we continue to raise awareness on, on this very, very uh, difficult topic that affects so many people. So thank you. And, you know, as a result of our federal provincial territorial meeting that we had back in December, uh, which was in Victoria, uh, you know, I stepped up and said to Minister Monsev that, you know, our province would like to, uh, you know, be the province that looks at organizing and uh, uh, preparing a cyber violence awareness campaign. So we're working together on that. And I, I really welcome your comments on that as well, because it's important that, as Joy said, uh, that awareness is really going to be the key uh, to ensuring that, uh, you know, not only adult females, but, you know, women, children, girls of all ages are aware of um, the importance of, uh, you know, sharing stories, sharing photos. And, uh, you know, we want to ensure that by raising awareness that uh, people know, uh, you know, that there is help available if, in fact, those, those photos are, uh, for some unfortunate reason, distributed uh, without their consent. So, we're going to work together with you on that. And, uh, you know, also right now, as a matter of fact, this very week, 
uh, we have developed a domestic violence awareness campaign and that'll be you know released this week we have radio ads that are ready to go in 10, 10 different languages right across the province because we know at this time that it's important that uh, we raise awareness as has been mentioned previously uh, women, girls, uh, children, um, you know, families are confined to, uh, you know, tight spaces right now. They're feeling isolated. And by ensuring that uh, we raise awareness, we want to make sure that those that are most vulnerable are aware that the services are still, uh, you know, available throughout the province, that, uh, you know, our shelter workers that are, are um, you know, uh, you know, women's resource workers, all of them are still working so hard, uh, those heroes, to ensure that, that uh, they provide the services to women and families right now when they really need it. So, you know, um, you know, we're working harder than ever to ensure that our most vulnerable are receiving uh, the support that they need. And I can tell you that that has been, you know, uh, a main focus for our government. And, uh, you know, everything that I am doing right now on that side is, you know, on the lens of ensuring that women are protected and that they have the support that they need. So, you know, again, thank you to all of you that are continuing to do that as well for, uh, for our most vulnerable throughout our province and our country. And, uh, you know, this is something, as we all say, we've got to work on together. And by working together, we know that we can provide those services. We know that we can make a difference. And uh, just by being here today on this conversation and having the opportunity to, to learn and share information, uh, you know, this is really gonna make a difference. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you to all of you. And thank you to share, Sarah for sharing your story. Um, as I said, I, I just, you know, can't thank you enough. And, uh, you know, my heart was so full when I first met you, uh, you know, the difference that you're making in the lives of, of women and girls here in Manitoba. So thank you to everyone. Oh, well, thank you so much, Kathy. And I know what, we're, we're all here to help. So anytime, you know, you need the word out or, hey, we, we need to do something. You've got all of these wonderful <laughs> women here that, that are on your side. We have your back. Definitely. Thank you. I'm going to ask Sarah because I know you're going to have to leave soon too. So Sarah, I guess share your story and we're all proud of you. Well, thank you everyone. Thank you for having me again, Tracy. It's so nice to see everyone again. Um, um, I shared my story, I think uh, last week or two weeks ago um, um, on April 13th and 14th, 14th um, I had found cameras in my in my bedroom, one in my bedroom, and the police found another camera in my living room. And if if anyone to walk into that house and if they were to record private moments of that that house, um, those two spots would be the perfect place for anyone to hide cameras. Anyways, the very next day, uh, I was threatened. My family was threatened that if I do go to police or if I don't tell the police that these cameras were a prank by my ex-husband, uh, my intimate images and videos will be released on social media. Um, my ex-husband did get charged and was um, was actually um, sentenced for, for a number of years. He did serve his time. Anyways, moving on, um, I started the shameless circle work. I just thought, um, like, I, I, had to, I had to ensure that I have a way to move forward in life knowing that something like this has happened my kids are part of it 
I just wanted to do something essentially for my children um, because they were part of this violation too. And I had to find out a way that was meaningful uh, for us, the three of us as a family to move forward. And also at the same time, find a way to, to connect other women. Cause I knew I was not alone. Like, like no way that I, I was the only one. I, I was, a, I was for sure that this happens unfortunately to many, many women. So we, I decided to on embarking on this journey of doing the shameless circle work. And then um, I started researching on, on, um, on instances of publication of intimate images without consent in Canada. And um, none of the provinces have actually had done anything at that time. So I decided to reach out to Minister Kathy Cox. And um, unfortunately, she was immediately on board on declaring the, the day one day. Because I think the issue is not, not that people are, are, it's not that, I think the issue right now on publication of intimate images is, is mainly because of unawareness. I think we need to educate our youth from the very get-go. Anytime you have a cell phone, you need to be aware that if, if you are in receipt of intimate images, it's a crime to forward that image to someone without anyone's consent. Like basic things like that. We, we, we need to make sure that our children, our, our, our friends, our peers are aware of that. Um, that. And also um, victims of such crimes have, huge, huge impacts on their lives for the rest of their lives. People in the past, women in the past have committed suicide on the same issue. So I think, I think we're, we're, we're I'm, I'm so proud. I'm so proud to be part of a province that is first in proclaiming such a day. Um, and also um, moving, moving forward, I think we are getting there in terms of spreading the word out. Um, and I, and I just think that it's just start of it's just the beginning, and we as a collective, like so many women I'm seeing here, we can all do our part in raising awareness on the issue. Thank you, thank you, Sarah, and we will, we will, we will, we'll be on it. Um, Rochelle, I guess your thoughts and comments. And I was thinking too, because you know what? I mean, we kind of uh, reconnected at your casual coffee party, but you know, it really brought the community together and who knows when you'll be able to have something like that, or maybe it'll just be like a small group, but you know, maybe it's like grassroots things too, where you can, you know, we, you can talk about these issues and, you know, instead of, I know that you're the minister of sustainable development, but I mean, I think this is dear to your heart too, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for having me here today, Tracy. And it's great to be among some of my favorite women in Winnipeg. It's great to see all of you ladies. And I hope all of you are staying well and, and staying safe and staying healthy. Um, I heard a statistic last night. And of course, Mary, you would probably know this better than anyone. Um, and that it's one in 10 women right now who are afraid in their homes and are um, afraid of uh, domestic violence. So I was taking a walk this morning before getting on this call and I was in my neighborhood looking at 10 houses, just walking by 10 houses and knowing that one of those houses is um, occupied by a woman who's afraid for her safety. And that's the reality of what we're living with um, in, in Canadian society right now, where we know that domestic violence, gender-based violence, it affects um, not just women, but their, their families and their children. And it's so unfortunate right now that we're seeing uh, children living at home in fear and not having those outlets, not having those safe um, adults in their life, such as their teachers, that they can physically see on a daily basis. So I'm really encouraged about some of the work that Snowflake is doing and that all the teachers are doing to check in on those kids. That's, that's pretty remarkable. Um, 
April is also sexual, um, sexual assault awareness month and um, to raise awareness about the prevalence of sexual violence that, um, that women face. And here in Manitoba, we're also really fortunate that we have third party reporting where women uh, and uh, well, adult women, uh, it's not available for, for younger um, uh, girls because there's that, uh, there's a requirement that if a young girl comes forward with a story of being sexually violated, it needs to be um, uh, investigated by police. But for a woman uh, over the age of 18 who's experienced sexual violence, it can go to a safe place such as clinic or Plurial or Francophone Women or um, Sage House or Karma Clinic and share that story and not choose to move forward with um, uh, going through the whole justice system at that particular moment if she's not aware, uh, not comfortable with it. And she can just have control and own her story in, um, in, in, uh, in the aftermath and the trauma of being sexually violated in terms of deciding who to tell that story to and where, how to move forward. Um, moving through the justice system we know is not, is not um, an easy choice to, to make for a survivor of sexual violence. And um, it allows the testimony to be um, documented as evidence and then s stored for safekeeping until she is ready to move forward with um, uh, potentially moving forward with, uh, with the justice process. And so that's something that is also incredibly important, especially now when we're in a pandemic and uh, people are just even more fearful and we know that sexual violence domestic violence it's still occurring um in in homes uh, and and in communities across our our province and so to have these tools to continue pressing forward and providing these tools is so crucial and i th i think just this general um, conversation that we continue to push forward and that we continue to have about destigmatizing um, abuse, destigmatizing um, uh, sexual violence so that survivors can feel supported to move forward in, in reaching out and getting the supports. Because we know many of them, upwards of 90% of women, uh, survivors of sexual violence never report and therefore don't actually, uh, uh, and also don't come forward and get the supports that they need. So when we, when we talk about it, when we have conversations like this, when we raise our awareness about it, when we just have a consciousness about um, gender-based violence as we're going about living our lives, when we're walking in our neighborhoods, just realizing that there could be somebody that I could reach out to in my own community and, and um, lend support to, and just being open to that possibility is really a significant part. And that's why I'm just so um, uh, so admire the bravery of women like Sarah who started the Shameless Circle and who have moved forward in, in uh, breaking down those barriers and just really wanna congratulate Sarah and Kathy for the proclamation about um, awareness about those, those images. And um, again, if you think back to uh, you know, to, you know, when, when you're for our young people, particularly who just don't have that awareness, they need to be taught these things that um, certain activities that they do will, will stay with them for the rest of their lives. And unfortunately, when images are out there, they're, they're not easily uh, taken down. And so really congratulate the efforts um, for raising that awareness and helping prevent the distribution of these uh, very harmful and devastating lifelong images that can, can haunt uh, people for the rest of their lives. So just really honored to be here today, really honored to have this conversation and to be part of it. And I wish all of you the very best and stay well and stay healthy and stay home for now. 
Well, and that's going to be, I guess, sort of a next question to kind of um, look at as what, as they slowly release restrictions, what will we do? Will we be running out of our houses and hopping into our cars or just, you know, going, I don't, I don't know what that's going to look like, but Mary, Mary Lobson, thank you so much for joining. And um, Mary, I know I don't want to let the cat out of the bag or anything speak. I want you to talk about your foundation or your organization because um, it's all part and parcel of this. And that was a very scary statistic that Rochelle mentioned, one in 10. Is that true? Mm, it, uh, it is a really scary statistic, um, but it's just, it's a reality in our communities across Manitoba, across the country. Um, and I'm with an organization called Eva Manitoba. We're ending violence across Manitoba. And we are a very small, not-for-profit organization. Um, we have no operational funding. And so we, we do projects and we try to make change in spaces um, and places kind of that we can. Um, I guess I, I want to talk about kind of a pick up on a couple of the points that have been have been raised and um, and I, I think I'll start with uh, technology and gender-based violence and the intersection between those two things um, and the opportunities that we have really to do more work and so I'm, I'm encouraged certainly by the the comments of the minister that there's a real interest um, in doing that in Manitoba we have had um, probably going on 11 years now um, an inter an interpersonal um, violence network that's been made up of community members and government. Um, and uh, we as an organization um, have been involved in the safety net project out of the National Network to End Domestic Violence in Washington, where we look specifically at the intersection between technology and, and uh, gender-based violence and how technology um, can be misused to perpetuate harm. Um, and so really looking at kind of tech for good and how technology can be used to support survivors. Um, but then also um, doing training across the province with law enforcement service providers around um, ways that they can support victims and survivors who come to them who are using technology and to help them use it more safely. So it's, it's certainly a need that's been, um, it's been identified for a long time, but it's been, um, when I kind of look at the us compared to the your Canada compared to the United States, um, they're much further ahead. And so there's a lot of ground that we can make up with respect to uh, technology. So as I say, I'm encouraged about that. And then I think talking about uh, domestic violence, um, absolutely, we have, you know, we're being asked to stay at home and we know that at least one in 10, right? Um, women and people are not safe in their homes. Um, we know that within that, certain women um, or certain groups experience higher rates of violence. So indigenous women, um, newcomer women, uh, women with disabilities. Um, we know that young women ages, uh, you know, kind of 17 to 24 are at higher risks of sexual violence. So, so even within that, that one in 10, there are higher rates of violence that people are experiencing. And, and so, you know, it's important to get out the word. And so I, I, I again, um, uh, I'm grateful or glad to hear that there's going to be a more of an awareness campaign available across the province, because it's important that people know that shelters are open and that there's places they can go and that service providers maybe are adjusting to how they provide service, but they're still out there and they're still, uh, they're still available to support women during this time. 
Um, but I also think we need to think about uh, that, that not everyone um, might choose to go to shelter, right? You know, or choose to access services. It can be difficult right now to be on our home, to be staying at home and have a private conversation. If you have an abusive partner, um, that can be, you know, someone who uses violence, someone who monitors your behavior, um, that can be more difficult having children in the home. So when we think about barriers in relationships uh, where there's intimate partner violence, kind of under normal circumstances, at a time like this, those barriers are, are significantly um, uh, more challenging. And so kind of part of what we have been thinking about is how do we create, um, create an opportunity for if women are feeling unsafe, what can they do? And so we, we will be launching a, uh, a chat line um, using technology, as we talked about, um, providing, providing a space for um, women, you know, who maybe can't, you know, be on the phone, but can steal a few minutes, go into the washroom, go into the bathroom, step outside. Um, if there is an argument or something, you know, getting a couple seconds away where they can at least have a chat. And I, I know um, I tend to be a fairly private person and so I don't share a lot, but I, I know that there, for me, there have been times where have, feeling unsafe, um, the ability to reach out um, to someone who's close to me, who knows my story, knows my circumstance, where I can just say, you know what, I'm not okay. And that someone else in the world knows that I'm, that I'm not in an okay place or that things may be compromised for me or that I may be not safe um, really makes a big difference. And we may, we may have difficulty sometimes sharing that with our close circle, sharing that with our friends, sharing, sharing it with our family. They might not even know what's going on in our household. Um, I have a girlfriend who we call, you know, I call her the vault. She knows everything. And, and she's someone that, you know, in, in dark times, I have been able to just say, I'm not okay. Or I just need you to know this is where I am. Um, and so we're hoping that we can be that for, you know, for women who just, who just want to connect. So as I say, that, that will be launching. And then the other thing that, that I think it's really important that we talk about is how, you know, absolutely we want women to be safe, but I, I kind of feel a bit like it's the, it's the statement of, women should stop wearing short skirts in order to not be sexually assaulted, right? We need to be addressing men in this, in this equation and not just talking about how women can, can keep themselves safe, how women can move out of the kitchen or bathroom where there are hard services during an argument to somewhere where there are soft services, where they can put, maybe move some of the knives out of the drawer or keep their cell phone charged in case they need to get away. We need to be supporting men who are at home who are feeling frustrated, overwhelmed, um, scared, using violence, feeling anger, feeling rage, not sure what to do with that. Their groups, um, you know, maybe if they've been going to evolve or going to some other men's group, those groups now may be um, postponed or canceled during this time. So how are we, how are we supporting them? Um, and so we've, in, in conjunction with our women's line, we've decided to open a, a men's line as well. Um, just again as a place where they can they can phone and say you know I'm so flipping angry right now and and someone can be there to say you know what take a deep breath 
you're not alone. You can, you know, we can, they can talk, they can, they can and we will be chat. It would be a chat. So we'll be talking, but, but there's just a place for them to be. So, you know, really thinking about on, you know, on one side, what are the community ways that we can support? And then really, what are the ways that we can raise awareness for those women who are going to stay home? They maybe are immune compromised and can't go to shelter. They maybe have kids who are and can't go to shelter. Um, we know that, uh, you know, in terms of getting housing right now, it might be more difficult. The job market is tricky. Um, if I don't work and my partner's receiving some kind of benefit, how financially am I going to be able to go? It's tougher to get into, in, get into get social assistance. Like there's just so many barriers and we need to be creative. And I had seen a, an email or a Twitter uh, thing go around, um, uh, I think from uh, Safe Cities. And it was about putting like a women's, a COVID, uh, a COVID gender-based violence safety um, group together. And maybe that's something that, that could happen to really kind of formalize and look more cohesively at, at not only what is our response to gender-based violence in Manitoba, but during the time of a pandemic. pandemic. So sorry, I just took a long time, but no, that's two cents, which were probably more like 25. So thank you for that. Or I don't know, maybe some of you are going somewhere. I don't know, but oh, wow. Um, there's so many things, but you know what? I, you're right to do the men's chat line. It's a big thing. Um, we have, we had a dis discussion with Diane uh, Russen, and she's in with the um, oldest project and they did a whole kind of a group thing with men. Uh, talking about being dads and having support of being like a single dad or whatever and so men do have an awful lot of issues too as well so please Mary um, when these chat lines come up let us know let me know and we will share and make sure that the word gets out um, I just want to throw it over now to Chantel you, you're just joining us new and um, I know that you know Christy really well and, and stuff like that. So I guess you're kind of your take on all of this and, and getting the awareness out in the heightened times when domestic violence is really a crisis situation. Yeah, um, in terms of creating awareness, I think it's so important. I'm super excited to be a part of this chat, by the way. Thank you everyone for being a part of this. Um, I mean, in terms of the issue, I. I can't speak as well as Mary or, you know, Joy Smith or any of those, or Christy, who's the, you know, advocates on for, for all these people who are struggling. But um, my biggest thing is, is speaking up in terms of social media, um, creating awareness, telling, you know, telling Sarah and, uh, and Amy that, you know, I want to create more awareness on, on child advocacy and, and they helped introduce me to you and, and, and that look where we are today. So, I'm in front of all these wonderful women. So uh, it's, it's those kind of connections that are going to be important and, and also collaboration as well, which Joy Smith was very much um, um, reiterating. So, so thank you all for being here. And uh, yeah, that's my piece. <laughs> oh, I just want to ask you too, too, Chantel, I mean, through your own personal experience too, but I think it's like surrounding your, yourself around people that love you and giving you confidence, right? Those are all kind of little seeds that can hopefully blossom into, you know, some sort of like a normal kind of, you know, environment to grow up in, you know, especially talking about kids. 
Yeah, for sure. I, I, I definitely think that it's difficult for a lot of people to share and, and it's, and that has to be your own experience if you want to share that, um, like how I may have in, in the past. But um, I think it's important we have support systems on the side, um, whether that be friends or things like Robin Priest's peer support. Um, just having those types of support systems are really important, I think, that we yeah. can share. Yeah. Tracy, do you mind if I jump in quick? You go, girl. <laughs> so, you know, this is all really amazing information. I think, you know, to your point, Chantelle, about, um, and, and to some other members here already, peer support and kind of having this connection to be able to reach out to um, is really important. And I think some of these programs, like, really bring that to light, and that's why we need to share. And so with Tech Manitoba, anything tech-related, like cyberbullying or online platforms for support, we're really happy to share. So just reach out to me, you know, offline. But on top of that, the other piece of if you have people at home who don't have the digital literacy skills, like either they don't have the hardware of a computer or they don't have the digital literacy know-how to safely navigate to a site where they're capable of like putting in that information or reaching out to someone right now more than ever, if you don't have someone in your home you can confide in, you may not be able to reach anybody without the use of technology, right? And so We've got free computer training programs, access to free computers through Tech Manitoba. So if any of that resonates with you and the project you're doing, we're just really bolstering that piece of the hardware that we didn't typically tap into before because there were local spots where people could go to use technology. Now we really need to get that into people's hands at home. So we've got new initiatives and, and happy to have a further conversation with anybody. Otherwise, techmanitoba.ca, you can find a lot of it. But um, certainly there's that extra piece of do you have the digital skills and hardware to be able to reach out right now uh, while we are so isolated? Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, this is actually, I guess, the perfect opportunity, right, for you to reach out to all of these people that are computer illiterate. So definitely Tech Manitoba and uh, thanks, Margo. I'm going to throw it to um, Liz, Liz Crawford. I, it seems like a, <laughs> she's going, no, no. But I mean, no, I think Joy Smith, I think she's, uh, just call her, Auntie Joy, I don't know, she's just so, she's touched so many of us, but I mean, you too as well. I mean, in your work with Joy and with your modeling agency and everything like yeah. that, it's almost like it's come full circle. <laughs> yeah, it really did. I, well, there's so many amazing women. It's funny, you can see I stole my daughter's computer, Natasha Hofer, this morning. <laughs> Sorry about that. Speaking of computer literacy, uh, Margo, you might need to start with me. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, Joy, well, I met Joy years and years and years ago, and she was incredible with, um, you know, helping us to see there is this whole other group of young women who are vulnerable. Um, certainly, we know that lots and lots of young women would love or aspire to be models or in the entertainment world, and um, we are still having issues. I mean, Rochelle has been incredible. She's been my um, ear as we have been struggling over the last year with some things happening. And um, there's still some work to do for sure, but these women have really taken a microscope to an industry that although very high profile has many, many, many secrets. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, been really incredible to help navigate how we can best protect young people. Yeah, and I guess now moving forward with the declaration. Um, it, interesting, Liz, how, I mean, obviously you, you want to spread awareness, but, you know, especially to your young models, something like this, what does that mean? Well, absolutely, and actually it's something I'll connect with Sarah on if there's something that I, we can do to pass forward through. I mean, we are... 
we are pit bulls in our agency in terms of managing what models put out there, who contacts them. I mean, we're really quite aggressive on that front. I think we're not the norm. In fact, I know we're not. So um, education, again, and awareness. And probably we need to make ourselves a little bit more accessible to even just, you know, not necessarily our models are stable of 300, but they're friends and they're friends' friends and maybe take a little bit more of a leadership role in that way as I think that um, my team at the agency are a group of young incredible women that could probably have some influence there. Oh no doubt well you know what when this all gets back to normal we're going to have the biggest fashion show and fashion event for a fundraiser <laughs> for snowflake for you know celebrating the declaration of the circle I am love project hey we'll just do it all right I mean awesome. but we've got all this great money that's my plan, you know, for next year. I'm actually quickly, Robin, um, I just saw a post that you did. Can you please share? I don't know if everybody read it or not because it is pretty powerful. I'm sorry I put you on the spot here, but uh, I've got to do it because there's other people that can't read these things, so they can yeah. hear and see it. <laughs> um, it it's, it's what I do, put myself out there and, and share. Um, like, you know, people are talking about um, kind of general relationships, but sometimes we forget the amount that also occurs in same-sex relationships. The statistics, you know, are similar. Um, and, you know, I shared in a post to you guys that we don't want to forget that sometimes um, it's also that occurring. Like, I was in a same-sex relationship. Oh, this one. Um, for a number of years and I moved, met someone online, like thought it was amazing, moved and the minute I got there, like my world fell apart and I was still working, I was still travelling and like there was this domestic violence like occurring and ghosting and like it was for a number of years and I did not reach out to anyone and I had peer support for mental health across my life. And um, I was just in that place of that doesn't happen to people like me, what's wrong with me? Um, and it wasn't till like some people started sharing their experiences of what had occurred in their relationships that I went like, it's that place about not feeling alone, right? It's that getting other people's stories. So things like the shameless circle, people sharing, people like going on social media and talking about this occurred. This is like I had to get through this. What happens? And in all honesty, whenever I go through Denver Airport and I used to travel a lot for work, I'm still like this. Like, I'm still freaked out when I go through that airport and I've done a lot of work on it and I, I think we don't want to forget those same-sex, like, couples too. And, like, you know, if people look at me, I'm more on the masculine of centre um, and my partner at the time was a very effeminate, like, woman and, like, it still happens. So I, I think um, part of what... I think is super important is that sharing and being able to continue to share experiences like have like advertisements about it, have sessions like this, have people standing up and talking about what happened, not 
everything to the war and illness piece of it, but enough to connect and then talk about, well, how did I get through that? So it that creates that hope for other people that maybe, maybe there's a way through this. So, yeah, is that like, that's what I, I just wanted to share that like it's out there. And if we can all keep talking about it, it's that stigma piece that comes with that. And, and the stigma piece with mental health, I'm hoping that we can talk more and more and more and that will have people like start to get they're not alone in it. Wow. It's normally I see Robin Priest, the one that has all the answers. <laughs> um, thank you. I mean, that, that, that really, you uh, peeled a lot of layers of the onion away and um, thank you for sharing that. And again, it's all happens. Um, Susie has been, I guess, all the, listening to all of this and I'm listening to Robin. I'm wondering too, and just tweaking on what she said, this isolation, no matter how together we are, affects us. And I think even this conversation that we're having here today, a very heavy subject, but we're also open about it. Um, has the isolation kind of rubbed off our sort of our, our kind of guard against being open like Robin just did? Well, I think that, um, you know, children have access if they have devices to children's help phone. But what you might not be seeing, um, as Rochelle said, is that we have one in 10 women who are not feeling safe in their homes. And it might be something that no one, is no one has ever talked about before. So now she might be reaching a point where she's really afraid and she is actually physically trapped because she can't go anywhere. And so I think we really need to be careful about um, I've seen a lot of posts, for example, on Facebook talking about how if you feel like you're in trouble, ask me about my recipe and I'll try to help you that way. And I think that we really need to be asking probing questions in a, in a safe way with our women friends and our friends who maybe we haven't heard from in a while, like checking in and saying, are you okay? I haven't seen you on social in a couple of days. Is everything okay? Is there something you need? Can I help you? Because if you are already living with shame and stigma and haven't talked about that you're experiencing domestic abuse and now you're feeling really scared and trapped and you have children with you, you might have no way to reach out. And that would mean that you're actually saying out loud for the first time what you're actually living with. And that can be terrifying and really scary. So I think we have to, again, I'm gonna go back to being really gentle with each other, having a lot of empathy and being um, that sort of safe sounding board. And if you have a group of friends as well, saying like, let's do a FaceTime call where we can actually check each other and you know see each other, how we're doing and use those kind of, um, of technology and that kind of emotional and psychological check-in to help each other. Wow, yeah. And Amy, hi there. So spilling off on that, I mean, you you have a group of women too that you you know are the I Am Love Project, and I mean, how is how is how are things going to change for you? Like when you're doing your pop ups now and the messaging, or will it be the same? I mean, I think the world has changed. Well, you're really, <laughs> we're, I'm I'm in a really tough spot, and I think that's a that's a that's a great question. I think. We've been exchanging kind of um, e emails on how to maintain the integrity of our pops up and still be using our really like creative mind and and catering the same kind of type of elements, but um, maintaining it to be like inviting, exciting, and um, informative. Because for, for me, I think um, it will be 
throughout the next year where everything will need to be online, right? Regardless if bans are lifted or not lifted. I think um, just deep down, some, some, some of us are still kind of afraid and like stepping out or like being out too long and being too close to other people. So yeah, that, that's our, kind of like our long-term plan for the next, um, next year. Yeah, so I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a real mixed bag. And I mean, I think, yeah, I don't know. Like Kristen, when, when your door is open and you're free to fly out, where are you going to go? <laughs> this is going to put me in a, a, a shallow waters, but it would be Home Sense and Marshalls for me. <laughs> when it's safe. Yeah. But um, one of the things I wanted to quickly comment on, like amazing conversations, and it, it's so fantastic to, to put it out there. Um, I'd like to say there's this common thread, but it's really a common cable of, of shame that is carried with all of these um, young people, females that are, um, you know, at the hands of another have, have been harmed uh, by domestic violence um, uh, pictures. We just got to keep putting it out there and talking about it um, to end the shame that drags behind, um, you know, many of us like a piano. And that's going to come with empathy and owning a story and being gentle and and uh, letting go of any judgment and just what a fantastic group of ladies to uh, be this in this conversation with so thank you for doing everything you're doing and that's just my two cents. Uh, well thank you and Rana hey hi <laughs> uh, how are you doing and uh, I guess your your thoughts I guess on all of this today. Yeah, you know, um, I think uh, just thanking kind of Rochelle and Joy and um, uh, Kathy because they're they're very very they're incredibly strong female leaders, you know, and they're listening to grassroots issues and they're taking control and they're doing what they need to do. So you got to give them the credit because it's not easy to do their jobs uh, and what they do is is incredible. And and Sarah, you're just uh, I feel like I feel like I just want to virtually hug you always every time I see you. Um, but, you know, I think that we've kind of hit, hit on a lot of really important points. Um, we talked about empathy and just being um, almost hypervigilant um, about your circle and, and, and your community. Um, you know, I think that there are specific communities. Um, you know, we talked about some of the newcomers. I know that there's other communities where um, you're not taught to share. You're not, it's not culturally almost appropriate uh, to share and um, you know, your home is your private life and whatever happens in your home is about your home. You don't, you know, um, so I think that kind of what, what Susie hit on is just a lot of people maybe for the first time in a situation where they're realizing how much danger they're actually in. Um, and, and I think that that's really a, a terrifying um, situation, especially if they have children. Um, but, you know, I don't know what just happened there, but um, yeah, so that's kind of where my head is at. It's an amazing conversation. Um, it kind of, it's heavy. <laughs> I know, I know. It's, it's a bit heavy, but, but I think that there's a lot of really um, strong, um, you know, women kind of sitting at this virtual table, um, you know, soaking on in all the information and uh, hopefully everyone's taking little bits and pieces that we can kind of implement in our own lives as we move forward. Um, you know, um, I'm sorry I was late for jumping on. I'm fasting, so I'm on my fourth day of fasting. I'm just, how, uh, how's that going? I'm, I'm a little bit slow today. No, it's great. It, it's great. Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely not easy. Uh, it's a little lonely. You know, we're not used to 
kind of doing it uh, in isolation, but um, you know, you do what you do and it's, uh, it's, it's good for the soul. It's good for the soul to, you know, teach yourself how to restrain, <laughs> right? Anyways, lots of love to everyone, you know, everyone uh, keep safe and, and keep your, keep your morale up and take care of each other. And that's the best we can all do. Oh, well, thank you, Rana. Well, the next show on Thursday, it's your Bring Your Pet virtual show. So everybody's got to bring their pet. Okay, we're going to have the Winnipeg Humane Society. <laughs> yeah. Baby. Yes, yes, you can bring me. <laughs> Not a pet. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so no, um, but really, uh, you know, first and foremost, too, thank you to, to Kathy Cox and Rochelle Squires and Joyce Smith. Um, it was wonderful. And hopefully, you know, we'd love to have you back. Um, I don't think this conversation has ended here. And uh, I know that we can all bring something to the table. And I, I really do think just besides raise awareness, I'd like to raise some money. Too. <laughs> and how we do that, we, we will find out. But uh, keep us posted too, Mary, on any of your uh, new adventures and, and chat lines too, okay? Because we're here to support. And uh, thank you all again. And thank you, Robin, for sharing your story. It's always been great. And I see on the chat line, we've got a lot of websites there, ladies. So please share. That's all information for you. And before we go, I just want to mention there's a 24-hour domestic uh, violence helpline. And that is 1-877-977-0007. And the kids' help phone line is 1-800-668-688. Six, eight. So to all of the viewers that are watching, please write those numbers down because we are the front line for all those women, children, and other people too as well that are feeling threatened. All right. And so on that happy note, <laughs> thank you all for staying. Stay safe um, while it's raining. So hey, yes, read another book or... <laughs> Have that other cup of coffee, but enjoy your day, and we'll see you on Thursday. Thank Bye you. Bye, everyone. Thank you all. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Kathy. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of ilikeyou.com, podcast distribution from the Sound Off Media Company. Do, did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. 
Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.